Welcome once again, Peter. How are you? I'm great, Bob. How you doing? How's everything going with you? Doing very well. It's, of course, an interesting time with COVID. Hopefully, uh, with uh, new management in Washington and with the uh, vaccines, we'll all get out of this as well. Well, Peter, spending, how people spend their money, and retirement. We need you to give us some advice. Now, thanks again for being here. The topic today is about spending and the 5% rule in retirement. For starters, what does that even mean? Well, let's, we'll, we'll get there, but let's start, you know, a little, let's take a couple steps back and let's, you know, start where, how we frame this conversation with our clients. And one of the most important things we do with our clients is financial planning. And that's really starting with the clients with the understanding of the client's balance sheet. In other words, their assets and their liabilities. And then, of course, how they spend their money, their income and their spending. So what are their sources of income while they're, we'll call it, gainfully employed at some job or other or within their career um, and what their spending is then. And then as part of a financial plan, we're not only looking at their current uh, income and spending, but then we're looking at their future income and spending. In other words, okay, now they're retired. What is their income going to look like and what is their spending in retirement going to look like? And then we make some budget, you know, some budget projections, both shorter and longer term based upon the gathering of all of that information. Okay. What do you mean by projections? Well, think of it this way, you know, you and I can sit down and do our do your budget today of what you're going to spend this week, this month and this year and that's you know, relatively easy and simple, right? You know, we can always build in a little bit of unknown in there. You know, you may need a new this or a new heater or a new roof. But otherwise, you know, doing a projection for this coming year, this current year, it's kind of easy. But now picture you're doing that out, you know, five, 10 and 15 years. That's part of a financial plan. And that's what we do. You know, we use some inflation assumptions in there on certain expenses that certain expenses will go up or will go down. Some expenses we know will stay steady, like let's say your mortgage payment. Your mortgage payment of $1,000 a month, assuming you have a 30-year mortgage and you don't refinance, you know, forget those little nuances for a second, that $1,000 a month payment is going to continue for you know, the next 30 years or until your mortgage is paid off. Other expenses, let's just say utility costs. We can make an assumption that in a year from now, in two years from now, in three years from now, your utility costs are going to be increasing by some level of inflation, right? I don't think Con Edison is going to start lowering your utility bills. No, I don't think so. Now, what about deficit spending? Some people spend more money than they have. Well, that's, that's kind of a problem, right? I mean, generally, we think for most of the time, most of us should be doing, you know, having a, a, a savings surplus. So you make $100 and you spend $90. Now, in the ideal world, let's just use that as a very simple example. You're making $100 a month and you're spending 90. That's great. Obviously, there are going to be some months where you spend $100 and there are going to be other months where you spend $110, right? Unexpected expenses, healthcare costs, you know, some car repair comes up. Even though you may budget that out, but that's what those savings come in for, right? Those extra $10 a month savings come into the months where you need a little extra because of the big, a bigger one-time expense, right? So it's not always equal. You know, your income is not always equal, but generally your income stays pretty close. 
it's your spending mm-hmm. that's up and down, right? There's a portion of your spending that's very stable and predictable. And then there's a portion of your spending that obviously can change quite a bit, which is why you need that savings built in there. And you and I, you know, we can think of it as, okay, you, you tap into your savings when you need it. Um, the only people that I know of that can effectively be deficit spenders and do it at infinitum is our federal government. And that's because they've got a printing press. I was going to say they have that printing press and they should just pump out more bills. Right. If you and I did that in our basement, I think we'd all we'd be in jail for that. Right. We can't just print money because we'd like to. Um, How unfortunate. <laughs> it, it is. But that's the reality that we live in. Right. It certainly is. Okay. Thanks for that. Um, but let's let's move forward. Um, explain how this works and what's behind this. I've heard this referred to as the endowment way, this 5%. I, I think that that's a great way to frame it. And that's the way we frame it with our clients as well, right? So let's explain what an endowment is for those folks that may not be aware. Let's just use, you know, your typical ABC university, right? Has these, you know, people read about Harvard and Yale and and the Ivy Leagues, and, and almost any college out there has their endowment funds, right? These donations mm-hmm. that are made over over many years and decades by by their you know generous people, um, and they put these in endowment funds where they say we're not going to spend the principal, but we're going to spend the interest off of what we earn. And typically, longer term horizons, when you know endowment funds, unlike you and I, right? Endowment funds are going to go on for decades and centuries, even. Um, so they really want to keep this money there in perpetuity, unlike the money that you and I might earn and save. It's not there in perpetuity. Um, so there's these endowment rules that have come into place um, through you know, lots of studies over, over many, many years about endowments generally spending about 5%. And, and the base comes down is that they think that they can over market cycles can earn, let's say, let's use an example of 8%. And let's use this typical example. So you've got a million dollars and you earn 8% and you spend 5%. So right there, you've got that extra, let's call it 3%, right? Well, let's assume that 1% of that covers all of the expenses and costs involved in running the endowment. Then the other 2% that's left over, right, allows for inflation. Because again, as we Mm -hmm. said earlier, we know that some expenses that we have are going to be increasing year over year over year. Some are relatively stable. But the only way that we can account for inflation is to have this extra little bit of growth in there. So again, start with a million dollars, you earn 80,000. You spend 50, you pay $10,000 to the investment advisory firm that you're working with. The other mm-hmm. 20,000 stays in the account. So now in year two, you've got a million and $20,000. Now you can draw 5% of that million and 20,000. Well, that's 51,000. That extra thousand dollars helps account for those extra expenses, the inflation, if you will. And really what we've done over the years is we've taken that same concept of endowments and put it into an individual. Okay, can you explain briefly about how inflation works in this regard uh, as it affects our buying power? Well, you know, again, you always re- reflect back as a, as a kid, you know, how much did a, a gallon of milk, a loaf of bread, a gallon of gas, any of those things cost, right? Go back 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago, maybe forget gas, you know, oil is, is, a, is a different commodity. But generally, most of your expenses for your everyday items 
generally increase, maybe not from Monday to Wednesday to Friday, but from you know, the year 2000 or the year 1990, you know, the, the goods and services you were buying in 1990 or the year 2000 or 2010 are, were more expensive in 2020, and they'll probably be more expensive in 2030 as well. So that's, if, if you want to think of it, yes, there are lots of different measures for inflation that one can use. But if you think about it, it's that cost of goods increasing, the cost of that item you're purchasing going back up. Or as uh, Yogi Berra used to say, I remember when a nickel used to be a dime. A perfect segue, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> okay, now let's say I've retired, which I've not, I've not, or one is retired. How does your spending change? Well, I think from what I've seen, you know, academically you can read books and they'll say, oh, well, you know, you start, your spending changes completely when you retire, what I found, you know, doing this for almost 30 years now, is that the gross amount that somebody spends in the course of a year, their total spending in a year, from the year when they were working to a year when they're retired, that amount of money doesn't really change very much. What really changes is certain ways that they spend their money, right? So let's kind of talk about, you know, your typical spending categories for, for most people, right? First and foremost, you have your housing costs, right? What does it cost for your mortgage, property taxes, utilities, your house upkeep? Now, even if you're a condo or, you know, it's a house, you still have those kinds of costs, be it, you know, you're paying for the guy to mow your lawn or you're doing it yourself, or you're paying the HOA to take care of the lawn and the maintenance, right? Somebody's maintaining that property and there's a cost to that. Maybe when you're retired, you, you've paid off your mortgage, right? So that cost may disappear at some point, but the other parts of owning a house, will those costs will not disappear. The next would be, uh, we'll just go to transportation or cars, right? You've got mm -hmm. you know, the cost of the car, you've got the cost of maintenance, gas, insurance. Again, that's probably not gonna change very much for your typical person in retirement. You then have your next cost will be insurances, be it, uh, on your home or your car, long-term care insurance becomes important mm -hmm. as you get older to consider, life insurance, uh, umbrella policies, any and all of those insurances, those things don't really change very much either. Then you've got obviously food and clothes, uh, retired or not, you know, we all still need to eat. Maybe you got a little bit more now that you're retired. Maybe you eat in a little bit more, you know, pandemic aside, at some point, hopefully we'll get to go back out to our favorite restaurants and support them. Mm -hmm. Um, and let somebody else serve us a meal and cook us a meal, which would be really nice. But again, those costs are still going to be there. Going to the grocery store is still going to be there. Kind of the biggest, one of the biggest areas that really changes is kind of the, the catch-all bucket of discretionary spending, right? And discretionary spending when you're working versus when you're retired, that's probably the one bucket that sees the most amount of change, right? Mm -hmm. uh, because... What's the first thing that you do when you retire? Everyone does when they retire or says they're going to do. Oh, well, I'm going to take that trip that of a lifetime, you know, that two week, three week, four week trip through Europe or Asia or South America or wherever that place that you've always wanted to go, but you couldn't. And now that you're retired, let's just say you've got more time to travel for quick weekend trips here or a long weekend there or a week here or a week there. So where you were spending, you know, where we live, people were typically spending on, let's say, commuting into New York City and parking and, and train fare. 
Well, they may not have those things anymore, but those things kind of get repurposed. Those dollars get repurposed from one thing to another category within that discretionary. And that's that's the one part, again, that can, again, it's discretionary. It's at your discretion to spend those sure. dollars or not. That's the most, you know, the part that's got the most amount of leeway in there. Then Peter, is it, it, go ahead, I'm sorry, but is it fair to say that some people may need to downsize or may need to make a fundamental change well, uh, in, in, when, they, when they do those numbers and the numbers don't add up the way they would like? Absolutely. And, and when we do financial planning for clients, that becomes readily apparent, right? We, we gauge the success or, or the failure, if you will, of a financial plan is not so much what it looks like in a year or two years, but what it looks like in 10, 20, and 30 years. And then mm -hmm. we can make adjustments, right? If, if I tell you, if I can tell you with some certainty, Bob, in 10 years from now, you're going to have X, right? You're going to, you know, get this, you're going to get sick in 10 years from now. But if you do something else now, you won't get that sickness. Same mm -hmm. thing if I tell you, okay, Bob, you're going to have some financial problems in 10 years if you don't make some adjustments now, right? Typically, I, it's I easier see. to make those small adjustments now to plan for what may come in 10 or 20 years from now. That's where the financial planning comes in. And, and one of the quick categories of spending in retirement or, or now are, are healthcare, right? Um, you know, first off, when you retire, you've got, you know, either you're going to pay Medicare or COBRA or your private insurance. Um, that could be an area that changes fairly significantly post-retirement, depending on the benefits you receive. And then, of course, the other part of healthcare is, you know, as as one ages, you're typically going to have more healthcare issues, and therefore need to spend more money. What we typically see with our clients is, you know, their first years in retirement, let's say in their 60s or 70s, they're spending more on travel and leisure, and suddenly at some point there's a healthcare incident, you know, whatever happens to them, and the spending on vacations and other discretionary areas gets pushed into the healthcare bucket. And usually, mm -hmm. right, healthcare is a very big expense. We all know that. Um, and that's that's the part, you know, again, we also plan for that in, in our financial plans. You know, if we have a typical husband and wife, we'll usually put in somewhere in the 80s that one of them, you know, suddenly has significant healthcare expenses. And mm -hmm. we build that in as kind of what we call our what if scenario. We, of course, never wish that on clients, but we know it happens and we have to plan for it. Okay. What other changes do we need to make in retirement? And as you know, some people are more active than others. And I think retirement has really changed a lot in the last 10, 20, 30, 40 years, right? I think people used to think of retirement, okay, I'm 65, 66, 67, I retire. I'm going to go sit on the front porch in a rocking chair and, and watch the world go by. And, and that's going to kind of be my retirement. You know, I'll get up, I'll eat, I'll, I'll watch the world and I'll go to sleep again at night. And that's it. I think that mm -hmm. whole, that premise is very much, you know, thinking from decades ago, right? I think what we see in retirement from our clients is all, all kinds of things. One, we already talked about travel, right? People are a lot more mobile today or will be mm -hmm. someday soon. And they're going to want to travel more. We also see a lot of clients do some consulting work, right? So for years and years, they, they did the work, I'm going to say, because they had to do the work. And I think, as we know, there are always parts of our jobs that we enjoy 
and there are parts that we don't enjoy so much. Well, so now imagine that you're retired and you can consult. So now you can pick and choose the, you know, what you want to do and not do the things you don't like, but only focus in on the projects that you want to like, that you want to enjoy, that you're going to say, wow, I really want to do that project. So I think we're seeing a lot of people do some consulting in quote unquote retirement. I think we see a lot of older Americans going, going, going to school, right? Go back to school a little bit. Not quite the Rodney Dangerfield go back to school, right? But you, know, <laughs> you, you see a lot of retirement communities springing up in and around large college towns, right? The, the Michigan, the Ann Arbor, Michigan, and lots of other big universities. There are a lot of retirees that live near there. Why? Because they can avail themselves to courses of interest, things that they always wanted to study, but didn't. And then the other thing that I think you're starting to see, which is a little bit newer, is families moving closer together, right? That is interesting. They used to move away all the time in the past. Yeah, you'd say, okay, I'm retired. I'm moving to Florida, to Arizona, to yeah. this way, some direction. And the kids stayed put. And you saw grandma and grandpa, you know, a couple of times a year on, on certain holidays or whatever. Uh, but now you're starting to see families starting to live a little closer together. Mm-hmm. You know, I've seen the trend where some home, you know, some some of the large home builders are actually designing homes to, you know, have kind of the in what they call the quote unquote the in-law suite, right? Mm-hmm. So you actually have them not just living nearby, but literally virtually under the same roof. So mm-hmm. I think we're seeing a lot of that as well, and that's something I think a trend we're going to continue to see over the next 10 or 20 years. And that's gonna potentially have some profound impacts on how people retire and how they spend their money. That's interesting, it, it really is. You know, as someone who has grandchildren, I can tell you, I would never wanna move away from them. Although hopefully they will move away from me. One last question. Sure. What does it mean to have a successful retirement in your view as a financial planner? Well, you know, I think there, there are two parts to that, right? From a successful, you know, I can answer it very easily. To be successfully retired means you have more than enough money to meet all of your needs and obligations throughout your retirement years. And if it's your wish to either leave money to your community through charity or to your children, whichever you prefer. But then there's this, <clears throat> the second part is about, I'm going to say being successful in retirement, right? Mm-hmm. Which, means, which is, I think, about more about having purpose right? Having money is not your purpose. Having purpose means there's something that you want to do, that you really want to do, not that you need to do, that you want to do. You know, so it's, you know, a kind of couple of questions you ask. So it's like, what's on your dream list, right? Is there anything that you always wanted to do, but you couldn't because of work and job and and family and stuff like that? Then, of course, the next thing is what's on your curiosity list, right? Something that's kind of always fascinated you, and something you want to learn, you know, be it a far a new language, right? You know, do you want to did you want to learn French? Do you want to learn how to be a French pastry chef? What is it that you really want to do? Um, and then the third is kind of what's on your mastery list. Really, what do you, you know, what not only do you want to learn a little bit about, but what do you want to become a master at doing, right? That's, you know, that's I, interesting. You know, like I've I've got a couple of clients when they retire, they they love to kind of dabble and, and fix things. They set up their own little wood shops, right? And they became masters at, at building little pieces of furniture or stuff like that. It was just something they always wanted to do. They didn't have the time. So I think part of a successful retirement is finding that purpose, that why, 
right? It's easy to find that we think it's easy to find that purpose when we're working, but what about when you're retired? And you have to think about a final thought is for most of us, when we retire, let's say at 65 or 70 or something like that, our life expectancy is probably going to be 20 or 30 more years. So to think you're going to spend 20 or 30 years and be happy without a sense of purpose, I think you're going to be sadly mistaken. Um, and I, so you have I, to give some thought to that. That is really, really great advice. And uh, as someone who is entering those years myself, uh, I've actually come to grips with some of that. Your, your advice could not be more spot on. Uh, Peter Lang, it is always good to see you again. Uh, folks, as you know, Peter is a uh, managing director and partner at uh, Hightower. Thank you very much for your time once again, and we'll see you soon. Take care, Bob. Be well, and I look forward to seeing you in person someday soon. Hightower Westchester is a group of investment professionals registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analyses, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as a general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. Hightower Westchester and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information, or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This podcast was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of Hightower Westchester and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates. Hightower Advisors do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented to any entity as tax advice or tax information. Tax laws vary based on the client's individual circumstances and can change at any time without notice. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor before establishing a retirement plan.